At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode 152 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. I have a question for you. When did you learn that certain bodies were more valuable than others? Do you remember the first time you kind of got the picture that smaller bodies were better or healthier or prettier or whatever? I know for so many of us, we get this really early on. When I've asked this question on Instagram, I see so many people telling me that they started their first diet when they were nine or 10. There seems to be some kind of like magical thing that happens. I don't even want to call it magical. It's almost like demonistic thing that happens at that age where we're pervaded with fat phobia, where we start to fear weight gain. And um, this means a lot to me because my daughter is 10. And also because I think all bodies deserve respect and need to be allowed to exist. Yet we know that we all get that information, that fighting our body and fearing weight gain makes us responsible, makes us doing all we can. And what a bunch of bullshit that is. We know through research that there's no evidence that there's any diet that helps any of us, or rather I should say most of us. There's always that one or 2% that's able to follow some kind of plan for a long time. But for the majority of us, no diet is going to promote health or promote long-term weight loss. And you know we can find short-term ones, sure. But when we look at two years and plus out, there's just no evidence there. Rather, what we're finding is that Dieting promotes eating disorders. It promotes being overly obsessed with food and it disconnects us from accessing things like health and positive body image. It promotes depression, anxiety, all these things that we really don't want to experience. So why why is it so normal to be scared of weight gain? And I wonder for you, listener, if you are too afraid of weight gain, I'm going to go ahead and assume, make that big leap that, yeah, yeah, you are. And there are many people who experience when they're at the age of nine or 10, their first diet because they're told that they're larger than they should be. One thing I remember reading in the research is that one third of all 
inpatient hospitalizations for an eating disorder are kids who are at one point told that their body was too big. They were told they're taking up too much space. And, you know, to get admitted to inpatient treatment for an eating disorder, you know, that's a really, really traumatic big deal in a person's life. Like they have to go and live in a hospital for at least a month. Yet that could have been avoided if people just weren't put on a diet that don't work anyway, (laughs) you know, or if all bodies were encouraged to exist. So I have a letter from someone who's in this loop. They've been dieting for as long as they can remember. And they also happen to work with food, which I know complicates it even more. Yet they know that they're not accessing full recovery because of that fear of weight gain. I get a chance to chat with Caroline Dooner, who's the author of the book, The Fuck It Diet, which I highly recommend. She's gonna explore some points that may be helpful for, t- for you, letter writer, or for anyone listening. But before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. If you experience PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, well, I know you were told you had to diet in order to manage the condition. Why are we telling people to do something that doesn't work for most people to manage a condition? There are other ways to promote health and food peace when you experience PCOS. You can check out all the details of the 12-step system and find out more about the course at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. If you're a dietitian and you want to help people to make peace with food while affected by PCOS, I have a course for you that includes 20 continuing education units. You can get to all the details at PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash dietitians. I want to share the work going on within Decolonizing Fitness. The person behind it, Isla Parker, is a trans person of color, physical therapy assistant, and medical exercise coach with over 13 years of rehabilitative and functional training experience. He's a social justice advocate and educator whose work centers gender, racial, and healing justice. He decided to merge his love for restorative-based movement practices and community advocacy to to create Decolonizing Fitness, LLC, which is a social justice platform that provides affirming fitness services, community education, and apparel in support of body diversity. Check out his website, decolonizingfitness.com. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter and hear from Caroline Dinger. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Dear Food, you are my best friend and my worst enemy. You are as familiar to me as my own backyard and yet as foreign as the deepest realms of the ocean. I taste you and smell you and manipulate you with my two hands every day. I read about you. I peruse photographs of you on Instagram. I am obsessed with you. And yet, I hate you. Currently, I work as a baker. 
I graduated last spring with a BS in nutrition. I've learned through my career how to meld delicious flavors and bake a custard to perfection. I've learned through my schooling how to teach others about, quote, balanced eating. However, I don't know how to eat. I've cycled through patterns nearly my whole life. Restriction, binging, purging, exercising, and always compulsively weighing myself. I've probably spent at least $200 on bathroom scales. Once in Italy, I pretended to tour a gym in interest of their membership, just hoping to find a scale. My weight is the center point of my life. Therefore, you are at the center point of my life. My childhood was interesting. As said in a negative, classically Minnesotan matter. I also don't have the best memory of those days, but I can place pieces together. I ate for comfort, and my high weight quickly became an issue I could not escape. I don't remember when I was placed on a diet, but the on-again, off-again dieting cycle started sometime in elementary school. My stepmom took me to doctors for weight loss medication. I'd take it, but with limited results. I remember shopping for clothes at Old Navy. I remember my embarrassment having to purchase the XYZ size t-shirts. I remember my stepmom telling me, If only you could lose some weight. Your face is so pretty. I remember when I was 11, my mother brought me to a plastic surgeon to consider liposuction. Thankfully, he advised us not to take this route because my body was still changing. At school, I was bullied. I remember a child in middle school telling me I was the cause of world hunger. I remember a girl at a birthday party asking me why I was invited. I was too fat to sit in the hot tub. Everything changed when I was 13. As a bit of a background, my father had custody of me during the summer. Most children coveted summers, but I dreaded staying with him. He was almost always working and traveling, leaving me alone with only my stepmom. I felt lonely, isolated, and eventually angry. I decided to take control. I stopped eating. Between the beginning of eighth grade and the beginning of ninth grade, I lost over XYZ pounds. I could finally wear clothes designed for people my age. Boys finally noticed me. My mom finally told me I was pretty. I was also very hungry. I carefully watched my food intake. I obsessively counted calories, and I'd weigh myself every day. In high school, I started hiding my scale because my mom had realized it was an issue. At age 14, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. Since the diagnosis, I have been in and out of recovery. My eating disorder has shifted all over the board. I identify most closely with bulimia, but I also have restrictive tendencies. I still weigh myself compulsively. I hate myself on the days the needle hasn't budged. I hate myself even more if the needle budges in the wrong direction. Some days I cry to myself in the mirror because I hate what I see. I pinch my fat rolls and tell myself over and over that I am fat and useless. Throughout the tougher battles, I've sought out treatment. But when I initially step out of the grip of my eating disorder, that hideous monster wraps his hands around me and draws me back. He convinces me I don't need treatment. He convinces me I should have an abusive relationship with him instead of a healthy relationship with you, food. I am fortunate in that I have gone through periods of more mindful eating. Typically, this lasts only for a few months, but those months have always brought freedom and joy. Unfortunately, you're so entangled with the eating disorder that he never leaves completely. He always finds his way back to me. 
At the same time that I struggle, those around me don't notice a thing. They praise me for my dedication to work out. They commend my healthy eating. Oh, what's for lunch today? A salad? Classic. My coworkers don't feel my isolation when they're enjoying a staff lunch of barbecue while I eat quietly with raw vegetables. My family doesn't understand my pain when I'm the only one to deny deny dessert. They love my self-control. I tell them I'm a baker and I get sick of sweets. Really, I'm denying myself the current satisfaction only so I can secretly eat to no end later. As a baker, though, I still find enjoyment in you. My friends and I are fanatics of the restaurant industry, and I do admire you as a work of art. The eating disorder likes to deprive me of this adoration and leave me only with desperation. Food, you make me so confused. I don't know if I want to work with you full time. I don't know if my joys for cooking and nutrition are true or if they only stem from the grips of my disorder. I'm confused with my path in life and my relationship with you is blocking my view. I want to remedy our relationship so I can navigate my future, but my self-hatred and fear of weight gain keeps me from full recovery. Although treatment has helped, I still feel trapped and terribly alone. Will I ever find my way out of this terrible maze? Sincerely, The Broken Baker. Hey there, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. And wow, what a long journey you've been on with your relationship with food. Your experiences, the way that you describe them, just further ignites the fire under me to help end fat phobia in our world. Because I really think that the way that we're going to be able to help everyone's relationship with food, including those in the throes of an eating disorder, is to stop really being so bigoted against people in larger bodies, wherever that may be, no matter what size they are. So I look forward to now giving a call to Caroline Duner. She is someone that I have been following for a long time on her podcast and her work in social media. She's also the author of the soon-to-be-released book called The Fuck It Diet. I love her work so much. And something that I've learned from Caroline is her lived experience is a lot like yours, letter writer. And for anyone who can relate to this letter, I have a feeling that you're going to learn a lot from Caroline. So let's go ahead and give her a call. Hi, Julie. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? It's so nice to talk to you, Caroline. So great. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Uh, Well, I am excited to dive into this letter and just talk about all these things that this person is experiencing. And I'm hoping you had a chance to read over it. I did. It really, I mean, you can really feel the pain um, from reading. And they're a really good writer, too. Totally. Um, I, are we just going to start talking about it? Yeah, we're definitely going to just start talking about it. Well, because what I always like to start with is like, whenever I talk to someone else is just finding out how, like, what, what is your general impression about what they're experiencing? Because I know when I read it through my own lens, my own lived experience. And so I'm curious, like, yeah, when you were reading it, what, what were you thinking was going on? So it's very clear to me reading that, that her experience 
as a child with all of this pressure on weight. And really it comes from this cultural fat phobia, this fear of fatness, this fear about what it means and what it means for health and what it means for beauty. And, you know, our families, it, we feel like it comes from our families and it, and it does, but it, it's coming from the culture first, then to our families and then to us. So even though right now she's experiencing something that feels very specific to food, like food is the problem and appetite is the problem, it really does stem from this relationship to weight and this fear of what it would mean if we let ourselves gain weight. And, you know, to varying degrees, I think most of us understand what that feels like because it, it affects all of us, cultural fat phobia and these beliefs about weight. Um, we're all kind of dealing with that on some level, but what I have experienced and see time and time again is that our relationship to food does not exist in a vacuum. We can't heal our relationship to food unless we begin to really, really unpack and address and heal our relationship to weight, the, you know, traumas that we've experienced and starting in childhood over our experience and pain over our weight. And luckily, actually, and what really, really helped me and seems to help other people that I talk to about this, there are a lot of resources that can help bust a lot of myths and misconceptions about about weight and health, because that's kind of a place where I think we get stuck. Because even if we want to be able to accept our weight wherever it lands um, on a sort of like feminist or self-love standpoint, we get kind of caught up in, okay, but what does that mean about health? Am I being irresponsible? Luckily, you know, it's actually... <laughs> in our best interest and best for our health to actually begin to take care of ourselves um, separate from weight, trusting that our body actually is going to be healthiest when we are truly feeding ourselves. So that's my very long-winded answer to um, looking at the the weight piece and mm. the cultural pain. I mean, like, it's, it's so understandable because it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy because we are living in a culture obsessed with thinness and with all of these really scary and painful beliefs about, about weight and fatness. So I totally empathize. She's definitely not alone. Um, I think that that's the root of most people's pain with food and eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And part of me feels like I need to admit some of the, how I didn't understand all of this, which everything you said is so important. And I, I know when I was early on practicing as a dietitian, I didn't really understand fat phobia's role in eating disorders. And, um, and then as I started to kind of put it together, how I, I saw how, that fear of weight gain kept my clients from a full recovery because there was just mm -hmm. like this, this side either because doctors started to worry about their, their weight getting too high. Mm -hmm. So, Oh, maybe we go need to go back to a meal plan or, um, people 
whose bodies probably just wanted to settle at a, and a, genetically was just, that's just where their body needed to be, was at a higher weight. Um, and that fear of having to like find a place of peace with that. Um, that's when I feel like I started to connect with fat phobia's role. But then I only saw it in like this microcosm of eating disorders. And it took me a long time, way, way longer than it should have <laughs> to really appreciate how culturally like we need to be exposing this for everyone because it hurts yes. all of us. And even if it only hurt one person, like it still doesn't matter. Like it's still right. true, pervasive true. and horrible. And um, yeah, there's a, there's, I, there's a lot of shitty things that I can appreciate that I did. And now I want everyone to know and everything you just said, I'm like, Oh man, if I only knew that 20 years ago, but, but we, we know it now. Right. And I think, um, that's why it's so important to call it out, you know, and what I feel so much, I just feel so much for this letter writer, how this person is saying like, she feels trapped. Actually I said she, but I don't know the person's gender. So I apologize if I misgendered, but so this person feels trapped and alone and, um, like, like it's their own problem. And in a sense, like you said, it's, it's maybe feel like it's in us, but then it came from our families, which came from our culture. So it's this right. really big system. You know? One of the, the, you know, really scary things about not only eating disorders, but just sort of the chronic diet experience, which is on the spectrum of eating disorders, but just, a, you know, not quite as, not quite as obvious, even to us who's experienced experiencing the, you know, the yo-yo of chronic dieting, um, we think we're alone. We think that we are the only broken or the, one of the very few broken people who can't get it together around food and that we need to sort of secretly struggle with this because, you know, there's something terribly wrong with us, but it is so, so common. I mean, it's like really, really, it's, it's everywhere. And I, continue to learn that more and more and more, even with people who don't really think that they have a problem with food, all of these beliefs about weight and food kind of like subtly affecting the way we operate and the way we see ourselves and the way we see our body and the way we think about food and feel guilt over it. Um, it's really pervasive. It's really insidious because we believe that it's responsible, right? That I think mm -hmm. that's the most difficult part is that the culture is telling you that obsessing over your weight and your food is healthy and responsible. Oh, that word responsible. Oh, I mean, yeah. it feels so spot on, but it's so icky. I'm like, oh, I, I think it's exactly correct. Um, and yeah, we're being responsible if we feel at home in our own skin. We should exactly. all be fearful. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's an everyone. Uh, there may be some cultures still left that don't experience fat phobia and I want to join that culture. I know. Will they take me? Please. I know. <laughs> and my family. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, I think we can learn a lot from the cultures, yeah, that celebrate body, di body diversity for sure. Well, so with all that being said, um, is are there any things, like any first steps that you'd recommend to someone who's experiencing something like this letter writer or to this specific letter writer, anything that you'd recommend? It's really interesting because before I was truly able to heal myself and before I ever started writing about this, I thought that all that it would take to heal was to learn to eat intuitively, to learn to listen to my body. But that didn't work. 
it didn't work alone because I didn't understand how destructive and unhelpful and untrue my beliefs about weight and health were. I was sort of trying to listen to my body through the lens of diet culture and the lens of believing that the point of listening to my body was eating less so I could be thin. And I just didn't understand how that was continuing the cycle. So the health at every size movement and the, um, you know, any activist or, or teacher or writer who writes about it and writes about these myths about fat and, and health, I think is a really important place to dig in because that is the thing that I've experienced really kind of unlocking something new and unlocking this freedom in this, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't realize this. And I can't believe I've been operating under these really, you know, diet, (laughs) diet beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure your readers know about the book Health at Every Size and the book Body Respect. um, But I always tell people to start there because I think that that really gets at the core of the issue. And, well, and then also fat activists. And I'm really loving your fat friend. Do you follow your fat friend on yes. Twitter or Instagram? Yes. I love all of her stuff. Um, and then, so my book, the, the Fuck It Diet, is going to be out by the time I think that this is going to be airing for your listeners. Um, and it's really interesting because I... I talk a lot about weight stigma and fat phobia and our relationship to weight, but I I don't start there because it scares people so much. I have to sort of begin by talking about sort of the nuts and bolts of what happens to us hormonally when we restrict food, we get fixated on it. And then that sort of makes people say, okay, well, I want to get out of that state And then the next thing that we have to talk about, because it is that important, of course, is, okay, just so you know, what we actually need to look at even further is our relationship to weight. And a lot of people say, okay, well, I can't do that. That's too scary for me. I'm going to sort of like flag this and and, uh, go back to my disordered ways and maybe revisit this when when I get a little more courage, because it really is scary for people, because it really is going against the grain. Um, however, it's super healing and very liberating when we finally let ourselves begin to unpack all of this and really heal the core issue, which Mm -hmm. is our relationship to weight. Yeah. And I think, um, not everyone is walking through life wanting to be radical, like unknown radical or an undercover radical and, um, someone in a larger body, not dieting is going to be radical. Like it's, and right. man, how exhausting that has to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I speak as someone who doesn't have that lived experience. So like, I just, from sitting across other people telling me about that experience, um, you know, it, it just, it sounds so exhausting and, yes. um, yeah. And was there, was there anything in particular for you that, I don't know, did you read something or connect with something or was it kind of just chipped away over time where you, where the fat positive space allowed you to access more recovery or was it, you know what I mean? Was it all or nothing or was it like just chip, chip, chip? Such a good question. That's a really 
really good question. It, I think it was a very, very fast chipping away when I finally, I had this personal epiphany that my own obsession with staying skinny and whatever beliefs I had about myself and my weight, I, that was the core of my issue with food because I tried to heal so many times ignoring my beliefs about weight. So I realized that for me, but again, I do and always have had thin privilege. So um, I think the next step that then was me, I, I guess somebody, I, I have to assume that I started reading about it or I started writing about it. I can't remember the exact order that it happened, but somebody mentioned health at every size. And as soon as I started reading and reading fat activists, like it was a, such a quick, like mind opening sort of like explosion of, oh my God, this is it. This is the place where people can truly heal if we can learn if we can hear from people's, you know, fat people's experience, and we can hear about the science that's so twisted and and so har- you know, so harmful if, if we believe that dieting is healthy and that intentional weight loss is healthy, you know, that we believe that it's not true and it makes things worse and worse and worse. So if we can actually unpack all of those things, once we learn those things, it's really hard to turn back. Then it's hard, hard to be like, okay, well. I'm just going to go back to obsessing over dieting and focusing on being skinny. I mean, people do, but it's hard to ignore the the path forward and the healing path forward once you actually understand all mm-hmm. of the myths behind it. Mm-hmm. Once it gets deep enough, it's pervaded our <laughs> conscience enough, then yeah. it's hard to like unsee it. You know, something you mentioned a little bit earlier that I wrote down was that myth that you identified for yourself, like the point of listening to your body was to get thin. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I wish I could shout that for everyone to hear because I do think that's what people think intuitive eating is, is that if I'm doing it right, I will get smaller. And oh, no. (laughs) I learned that. So I have had this recent thing of like, oh my God, like I kind of feel bad that I misinterpreted intuitive eating and haven't really been giving it its due. And there's part of that that's true that I kind of wasn't able to read certain things that were being said in the actual book called Intuitive Eating. but then, And then I wrote this whole post about it. But then this girl sent me the German translation of Intuitive Eating and the, the title translates to Intuitive Weight Loss. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So like, and I know that that's not what the co-author's intention was, but mm-hmm. I don't know how they allowed the German publisher to make that choice. But yeah, that really is the, like, clearly that was the interpretation of Mm -hmm. the German publisher. Right. So it really is something that people can misinterpret, you know, on a pretty large scale and it can keep you stuck. And it it keeps lots of people stuck until they understand how much deeper it goes. Yeah. And I think that a lot of our, uh, I say our, I bet it's probably, um, those of us who are not in the foundation of fat activism really just started to wake up in a place of, um, uh, you know, in, in the, what I'm really trying to say is like the mid nineties when intuitive eating was published, yeah, a lot of us weren't even connecting fat phobia. We didn't even have that, those phrases, uh, there was right. fat activism going on. Yeah. Right. And I can remember, I don't remember which author was 
told me this, but either Evelyn or Elise were, were mentioning that um, when they were publishing the first edition, there was a lot of pressure to put um, some kind of diet or weight loss promise on the cover. I totally believe that. Like even still, even with my book, you know, it's very clearly not about weight loss. Some of the pieces that they've been trying to place in magazines or in, you know, newspapers, the, I've had to turn them down because Mm -hmm. they wanted to frame it as a weight loss piece. They wanted before and after pictures. And I was like, did you read my book? (laughs) Yes. That's so insulting. And no, they didn't get it. (laughs) I know. So I totally believe that. And I totally, you know, empathize with that Mm -hmm. pressure because it's very real, especially when they're trying to make something, you know, the publishers want it to sell and they know that promising Mm -hmm. weight loss sells. Yeah. Well, and that's why too, I think that's why those myths that's part of why it's, we yeah. weren't necessarily reading it wrong or interpreting it wrong. It was laid out incorrectly. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't engaged enough with the social justice side exactly. of this work. So, oh, well, all those resources that you mentioned, I'm going to put them in the, the food piece syllabus. And if you are a new listener to the Love Food Podcast, the food piece syllabus is a list of books and podcasts, blog posts, whatever under the sun that we can find that helps promote your food peace journey. And you can get the most recent updated list at juliedillonrd.com. So we'll put all of that on there. And um, thank you so much for your time, Caroline. It's been such a fun um, few minutes to chat with you. (laughs) I'm so glad that we got a chance to connect. And if people want to know more about your work, uh, where can they find you? You can find me at thefuckitdiet.com. It's exactly how it sounds. And uh, there's lots of resources there, lots of free resources. And you can find more about my book that should be out by the time you're listening to this at thefuckitdiet.com slash book. Awesome. I will put those in there as well. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. So there you have it. Letter writer, I hope that my conversation with Caroline Dooner provided some insight, some nuggets to help you along your food peace journey. And anyone who can relate to the letter, just know that there are many of us that are rooting for you. And yes, you too, no matter your size, no matter your experience in your body, you deserve to feel at home in your own skin. And we will not stop fighting until you get to experience that too. So I see food has written back. Before we get to Food's Letter, this episode of a Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. Get to all the information at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. Also, be sure to check out Decolonizing Fitness. That's Isla Parker's social justice platform that provides affirming fitness, fitness services, community education, and apparel in support of body diversity. You can find out all the information at decolonizingfitness.com or in this episode's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode of a Love Food Podcast, I would love it if you left a rating, a review, you subscribed or shared the episode. Doing any of these acts of kindness really helps the show grow. So I thank you in advance for doing just that. All right, until next time, take care. Dear Broken Baker, There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing unacceptable about your body. You deserve to feel at home in your own skin. Yet, you were not taught how to do this. Culturally, 
we are taught to find certain bodies as more valuable. This is a lie. This is a false truth. Your access to recovery will be easier to grasp and experience as fat phobia is dismantled. One by one, together, let's break down the bigotry, discrimination, and stigma. Let's rebuild our cultural conditions for body acceptance, that all bodies deserve respect and worthy to exist. Together, let's connect you with recovery and help others along the way. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.